So before we get into the sermon, let's go ahead and pray, um, and then we'll get into it. God, you are good, and you alone are good. I am so often amazed by your work. Uh, I'm in awe. I don't even know how it is possible so often that, that you work in such amazing ways, that you work in people's lives, that you bring people to you, that you call people to you, that people get to know true life in you. And Lord, because apart from you, we are dead. We are dead without you. We are dead without your son. Without you, without your work, we are hopeless. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you provided hope. I'm thankful that you have worked in a way that has, uh, gives people opportunity for salvation to come into your presence, for your presence now, and then eventually your full presence in the future. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you can remember vividly uh, the first funeral you attended? Just a raise of hands. The first one. Right, I'm sure most of us in here, we can vividly remember the first funeral that we attended. And I remember uh, the first one, it was my granddad, my mom's dad. It was 2006. I was six years old, uh, just to remind you all of how young I am. <laughs> when I was 2006, I was six years old. And I remember the, the viewing, I, I can't remember where the viewing was. I can't remember what church it was, but I remember standing uh, in front of his open casket, the casket open, and I wasn't much taller than what the casket was sitting on, and so I could see him up close and clearly. And, you know, as a kid, as a six-year-old, you don't quite fully understand the, the weight of death, right? My parents explained to me that, hey, uh, your granddad died, you're going to see his body laying there, but he's no longer there, right? That kind of thing. And so I at least knew that. My granddad was no longer there, and obviously, when you're viewing somebody who's been prepared by, uh, to, to be laid in a casket, it looks like they're sleeping. And so that's usually all kids think of it. They're, they're just sleeping. Right? And I remember the uh, graveside service and the, the obituary and the eulogy was given. And I remember distinctly, at least I think I remember, I might remember this wrongly, uh, I remember the guy going over the list of names who he was survived by, and I'm fairly confident he did not list my name. And so that, that is a grudge I have held on to for a very long time. But I remember that, and I was so frustrated. I remember, kind of stupid, and you're going to be like, wow, you did that? Uh, I, I went to the back where they were having the, you know, the graveside service. I went to this tree. I found, again, uh, my parents probably should have been watching me, but I found a machete. And so I started hitting a tree with a machete because I was upset. Uh, so not the best thing for a six-year-old to go wander off and do by themselves, but yeah, I've held on to that grudge. <laughs> Maybe I should have had a sermon about not holding on to grudges, but you get my point. I can, I can distinctly remember that time. I can distinctly remember the first funeral I attended. Uh, I, can, I can remember him laying in the casket. I can remember the graveside service. I can remember how my mom was torn up, obviously in pain, griefs, uh, crying. I remember all of that. And so for us, when, when we attend funerals, they're one of the most significant events in our life. Death is one of the most, uh, maybe top three, one of the most significant events in our life. It's unavoidable. Physical death is one, unavoidable. It's one of the most significant events. But for those in Jesus, for us who are in Christ, we don't grieve the rest of mankind. 
It happens. Chances say that we're all going to eventually die a physical death. And the thing is, when that time comes, it can be filled with much grief. It can be filled with much trauma. But it can also be filled with grief, but joy. For those in Christ, we do not grieve like those without hope. Because here's the thing, church, here's the thing. For those who are in Jesus, though we die, we do not see or taste death. We may die, but we are alive. How is that so? How is that so? We're going to pick up where we left off last week in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, just reading verses 46 and 47 to pick up where we left off. It says, Jesus says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Who is of God? Here's the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Right? So in the context, Jesus had just called out this crowd of Jews, likely filled with mostly the, the teachers of the law, the religious people, and he calls them out and says, your father is the devil. Your father is not God like you think it is. he is. Your father is actually the devil. So he calls them out. That's where we left off. And the Jews respond in verse 48. The Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? So obviously, obviously they take offense at what Jesus said. Who are you to call our father the devil? They take offense, and then the Jews they respond with uh, what is supposedly an insult. You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Now, for us in our context, it kind of it's kind of hard to understand, hey, how is that an insult? But we've got to understand their historical context. Why do they call him a Samaritan? And I've touched on this before. Samaritans were Jews who mixed with the Syrians, right? So there were some ethnic things going on there that the Jews did not like. So they viewed the Samaritans as less than because they mixed with the Syrians. Not only that, the Samaritans, they had their own temple that they worshipped God in. Uh, The Samaritans, they only believed, they only believed that the first five books were inspired as compared to the Jews who had the prophets, wisdom literature, right? Psalms, Proverbs, all that. And so for and religious reasons, the Jews thought the Samaritans were less than. They weren't as good as them because they were Samaritans. And so essentially, by calling Jesus a Samaritan, they're kind of saying, hey, you're just as bad as them. It's like telling Jesus, you're not really Jewish. Because of these things that you're telling us, you're not really Jewish. And in addition, you're possessed. And so Jesus responds in verse 49. Jesus says, I don't have a demon, right? Uh, Bottom line, I don't have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. And we know this, Jesus, he honors God the Father. Everything that Jesus does, as already has been established, everything that Jesus does is pleasing to God the Father. So Jesus honors the Father, but they dishonor Jesus, which then implies they dishonor the Father. John 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. So because they dishonor the Son, really they dishonor the Father. right? Because if they loved the Father, they would love the Son. Because they dishonor the Son, they dishonor the Father. Jesus continues in verse 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and He is the judge. Right? Jesus, He's not preaching. 
Jesus is not giving them his message that he received from God the Father. He's not doing that. He's not saying anything he's saying because of some self-glorifying interest. There's one person who seeks Jesus' glory, and there's one person who determines it. And that's probably a better translation of this text here. It'd probably be better translated as, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and there is one who determines it. God seeks Jesus' glory, and God determines Jesus' glory. God the Father, the God that they supposedly worship. And remember John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 41. Jesus says, I, I do not receive glory from people. I'm not interested in the glory from people, from mankind. Now, I think he says that for two reasons, right? Obviously, because he doesn't seek glory from people. Two, he doesn't need glory from people. Think about this. Jesus doesn't need glory from people because if God the Father, if God the Father is the one who seeks it and the one who determines Jesus' glory, then the Son has no need of glory from man. Just think about this. If he's receiving glory from God, God the Father, that glory is vastly more important and infinitely more valuable than glory from finite man. But this is one thing that I've touched on before in previous sermons. We, we, we don't need to have this mindset that we're adding to his glory. We don't add anything to him. We're invited to come to him. Us coming to him doesn't make him any more glorious He's already glorious. It's grace. It it is a good thing for us to even be invited into that glory. Jesus doesn't seek the glory of man and he doesn't need the glory of man. And then he says one of the most important things in this block here, this block of text, verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see Death. If anyone keeps my word, they will never see death. That word there for keeps is a strong word. It's often used in the context of a guard keeping a prisoner. And so Jesus, he's very serious about what he's saying here. If anybody keeps my word, my message, right, guard it. Don't get away from you. Keep it. It's vital that you hold on to my message and you will never see death. Part of his message recently we heard, believe that I am. Believe that I am. John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 7, verses 37 and 38, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That message. Keep that message. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. And as a result, we will never see, we will never taste death. How? There seems to be quite a bit of death in this world. There seems to be quite a bit of tragedy that takes the lives of so many people. 
fires, wildfires, war, grief, depression, uh, mental illness, violence. The list is almost endless of the things that take the lives of people. So how is it that we will never see or taste death? See, the thing is, we may very well die a physical death. We may die, but we're not dead. That's the implication for those who are in Christ. They may die, but they are not dead. That's the promise. Jesus, is pro- Jesus promises you that, yeah, you're going to die. You might die a physical death. You will die. You will go into the grave. You will decompose, but you are not dead. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, a passage we're going to go over in several weeks. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And as we already read in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, that's in the present tense, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And as we read at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The implication being that without Jesus, we don't take a single breath. Without Jesus, creation doesn't happen. Nothing uh, in this physical world is possible without him. Right? So if Jesus can bring about life itself... It's most certainly within his ability to to cause us to live though we die. In Christ, we will not see or taste death as we read even in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that is man, and he himself, that is Christ, likewise partook of the same things, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So the implication being Jesus took on flesh so that he could die and then he could conquer the one who wields the power of death. And we also read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 54 through 57, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this sermon, I'm not going to explore exactly how he accomplished that, how he accomplished defeating the one who wielded the power of death and Uh, by dying. I'm not going to explore that right now, but if we believe his message, that's the implication. Death has no power over us, over those who are in Christ. So hold on. 
Keep his message. Keep his word. Hold on. Guard it like a guard would guard a prisoner. It's not that his message is elusive, but that sometimes, man, we fall asleep. Sometimes we get distracted. And we, we let go of that message that we once held on to, but hold on to that message. That's why his language is so strong. It is vital that you hold on. And the Jews respond back in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 52 and 53. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see or never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets, they died. Who do you make yourself out to be? It's pretty obvious what they're saying. Are you claiming? Are you claiming to be better than the prophets and Abraham? Obviously, by asking that question, they don't think he is. They don't think Jesus is better than Abraham. They don't think Jesus is better than their prophets. So they don't think Jesus can make that kind of promise to them. How can you promise that if we hold on to your message that we won't see or taste death? Surely you're not greater than Abraham. And Jesus responds in verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify my, myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. I think we can follow Jesus' reasoning here, right? If he glorifies himself, if he's just concerned about self-glorification, his glory means nothing. Right? And this might not be the best illustration, but imagine somebody creates a social media profile they only follow themselves and they only see the post that they post. Right? That's pointless. Jesus doesn't glorify himself. Jesus says that God the Father glorifies him. The God that they claim to worship glorifies Jesus the Son. So, if they worship God the Father, then they ought to glorify the Son as God glorifies the Son. Jesus continues, verses 55 through 56. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And Jesus said, hey, I'm not lying. This is true. In fact, your father Abraham, well, he rejoiced at the coming of my day. Not only that, Jesus says he saw it. Abraham saw his day, as if he's saying it happened. Abraham, with his own two eyes, or maybe his own two ears too, saw and heard about Jesus' day. Now that is confusing. How? Now there are a number of things people think this refers to. Uh, some people might say, hey, this refers to when Abraham was going to go sacrifice Isaac. Maybe that's what that refers to. Some people might think it refers to the transfiguration when Moses and Abraham were there with Jesus. There's a lot of things that people think that that could be referring to. But the implication is, Abraham knew. Abraham knew and Abraham saw. And so the Jews respond in verse 57. The Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Right? You're not but a BP. It's a local term, baby preacher. But you're, not much, you're, not a ba you're just a baby preacher, right? What do you know about seeing Abraham? How did Abraham see your day, Right? And so for, the, for Jesus to say that Abraham saw his day is also in a way, as they understand it, he's implying that he saw Abraham, that Jesus saw Abraham how? Right, because Abraham, 
Abraham died around 1800, 1700 BC, right? We're talking 1800, 1700 years before Christ was uh, incarnate. But of course, they don't think Christ is God, obviously, so they think he's just a man. So they think it's impossible for Abraham to have seen his day, and it's impossible for Christ to know anything like that about Abraham. So, how? Jesus responds, verse 58. He gives the answer, really. Jesus said to them, Truly, 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 I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's the answer. Before Abraham was, I am. Anytime you see truly, truly, by the way, that that means this is absolutely certain. This is truth. I'm not lying to you. Before Abraham was, that word there translated as was can be before Abraham was born, before Abraham was created, I am. Three times in John chapter 8, we see Jesus claim the divine name, I am. Three times. So anytime you hear somebody say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God, (laughs) one chapter, three times, he claims the divine name. Before Abraham was born, before Abraham was created, I am. And as a partial answer to how we who are in Christ We who are in Christ will not see or taste death because it's because Jesus is God. Being God, Jesus, that's within his power. That's within his authority for those who are in Christ. Though they die, they're not dead. That's how. And being God, his word, his message ought to mean everything to us. Church, it's because of who he is and by holding on, by keeping that message that we will never see or taste death. The Jews respond in verse 59. So they picked up stones. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Don't respond like this. Some want to respond by picking up stones, by crucifying him. I guess at one point we all did. But respond by clinging. (laughs) By clinging on his message. Don't cling on to those stones. Don't try to write him off. Cling on to his message. You can as we stand and sing.